Welcome into Tailgate, the road edition. We are here in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, a fantastic day one of practices. We're going to obviously go over those, some of the notables at every single position. Also on the catch and early buzz, obviously the monster Brian Flores story, Tom Brady officially, officially IG official retiring, and then now Harbaugh, rumored to be signing with the Vikings. Let's get it. get into the senior bowl stuff we have to talk about the story that everyone is talking about here at the senior bowl every single coach a lot of reporters obviously down here in mobile for the senior bowl brian flores stuff comes out like literally while we're at practice right i Mm -hmm. think the brian flores lawsuit literally comes out while we're there at practice alex weprin who is a media and business writer for thr Initially said, Brian Flores is suing the NFL and the New York Giants alleging racism and hiring includes private texts from Bill Belichick. Those texts read, I think this is an important part of it. He, the, the texts essentially insinuate Bill Belichick, obviously the coach of the New England Patriots, found out the Giants were hiring, like officially hiring Brian Dable the day before Brian Flores was scheduled to interview with the New York Giants, which leads to obviously the insinuation that they were really only interviewing him to accomplish the Rooney rule, Mm -hmm. which is the Rooney rule, which has been in, I think in effect for 20 years now in the NFL, where it ensures that all exact, you know, all teams when interviewing for a new head coach have to interview at least three black head coaches fitting. Is that correct? It's only one. Only one. (laughs) Oh, it's only one. Only one outside candidate. Oh, wow. In person. I thought it was three interview. In-person interview with an outside candidate. Is okay, so only you only have to interview one. We have Brian Flores. Then these texts from Bill Belichick. They say, "Sounds like you have landed." Congrats. And then Brian Brian Flores says, "Did you hear something I didn't hear?" He says, "Giants question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point." A ton of those. I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. That's what Flores says to Bill Belichick. Got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York Giants that you are their guy. Hope it works out. If you want it to, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, Coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Just making sure, obviously, because he, you know, in that text, Bill Belichick mentions Buffalo and New York when he hadn't even interviewed. He hasn't interviewed yet, yeah. exactly. So then, I think a few hours pass by, and then Bill Belichick says, "Sorry, I fucked this up. I double checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Dable. I'm sorry about that." Signs off the text. B B. Flores says, "Thanks, Bill," and then goes into interview with the Giants the next day. And that is ridiculous, right? Like that is obviously a sign that this this interview was never meant to actually go through, and that he never actually had a shot. Like that, at least from what those texts say. Yeah. So this this whole sort of one the Rooney Rule has not obviously worked. There is only one black head coach in the NFL. It's been in effect, you said, twenty years since two thousand and three. So for that to have, I think, literally gone backwards in terms of number of black head coaches shows you all you need to know about how much you know quote unquote good this rule has done so i think this is at least going to be the end of this from the nfl's perspective um they came out and said all the allegations false whatever that lawyers speak at this point of what they're doing but two this is not this has been sort of a known thing that a lot of sham interviews take place sort of the 
uh, you know, box ticking is not an uncommon thing known. It, it's the what NFL. this rule creates, and, and it's right? what, exactly. It, it's a, it's quite literally a negative side effect that has been the biggest criticism of the rule since its inception. And people, you know, the NFL loves to pump its chest out, saying, "Oh, look at you know these guys that got interviews and then advanced in the head coaching jobs that may not have gotten in the first place." When in reality, I truly don't, I think truly think it's done more harm than good. I think in the allegation, they write out that obviously the Rooney rule may have been well-intentioned, but it's just not working, right? And it's not working. Management is doing, it says in the, in the allegation, management is not doing interviews in good faith and therefore creates a stigma, a, a stigma that interviews of black candidates are only done to comply with the Rooney rule, which is so true, right? Like this rule was made because decision makers in the NFL are obviously racist. A handful of them are obviously racist. They put this rule in place to try and level the playing field like other rules have been made in place in previous years, all with good intentions, but actually end up not working here. I mean, you know, Mia Kimes came out and said, the only way you do this is you have to call out the decision makers who are making these bad faith decisions, right? And like, this is what Brian Flores is trying to do with these allegations. Will it go through? It's hard to say. Like the NFL is an absolute juggernaut. You could easily see these allegations not go through, but these texts from Bill Belichick are obvious in one thing, whether or not the allegations go through is that the Giants were already hiring Dable, and then they just were doing floors, whether it was for a sham interview, to tick a box. He was not going to get the job that next day, right? Why would not? Why wouldn't you just let Flores know that we're already going with Dable? Yeah, I mean, they did have like four other interviews even after Dable. So I don't know what the hell they were doing there in New York. Obviously, they'll probably not come out and tell you exactly what they're, they were doing there. But um, I, I do the galaxy brain take going around is that maybe Belichick like knew what he was doing when he sent those texts that like, obviously he is incredibly close with Brian Flores. How would he mistake that? Obviously with Flores coming up under Bill Belichick, how would he mistake Brian Dable for Brian Flores in whatever fashion that he was mistaking it, whether it was he thought he was actually texting Brian Dable, which I I don't think that was actually the case. I think it's more that he got a text saying it was Brian, assumed it was Brian Flores, whatever, sent it that way. But if he knew what he was doing to, help Brian Flores out in the situation. I think that's a possibility here. I definitely think the text he got, whether it was from Buffalo sources or giant sources saying they're going to go with your guy, Brian, like something like that. Like you're going to mm-hmm. go with Brian. Yeah. And he was like, okay, Flores, let's go. And then like, that's not obviously who it was. But to be fair, Brian Dable coach for new England from like 2013 to 2016 or something like that. So it's, they both have relationships with their Belichick. The other piece of information on the Flores allegation that I found interesting is that they also mentioned the allegation that owner Stephen Ross said he'd pay Flores $100,000 for every loss in that 2019 season mm-hmm. to help them win games. So like everyone comes back to like, oh, well, Flores wasn't all that successful. Flores isn't making playoff games. You have a culture where they're cheering on losses. Okay, yeah. so I do think that, I, and I don't think, I will say this, I don't think this is the first time a checkbox interview has happened. I don't think this is the first time that ownership has made some of these decrees and tried to push push money in certain people's ways to take and stuff like that. Yeah, and he also alleged that they forced him into a tampering situation in Miami with a quarterback who was going to be a free agent, didn't name names in that. And also when he went to interview for Denver, John Elway and uh, who else was it at that time, owner at the time, showed up an hour late and smelling of alcohol, which was immediately refuted, but those are all some sort of absurd allegations that are being flown around right now in that case. Let's move to Tom Brady, which Tom Brady announces his retirement officially after Adam Schefter had announced it like, what, 
48 hours before, 72 hours before. Yeah. And we said, I think we nailed it on the show. When we talked about, is Tom Brady actually retiring? Tom Brady wanted to retire on his own terms. Mm-hmm. He wanted to announce it on his own IG. And then immediately, Schefter gets a leak from whoever that close source was to Tom Brady. Schefter is 100% accurate. Yeah. Brady refutes those claims because, again, he wants that spotlight on him. And rightfully so, right? I'm not saying, like, because he's, you know, this big name, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, rightfully so wants that spotlight on him. It's the end of his own career, right? It's like when people get upset at reporters for announcing recruit status. You know, some people are like, oh, he's committing here. Like, let him, like, have his yeah. day. And Schefter obviously didn't for good reason. I mean, you're trying to get the, get the scoops out. But then he comes out with a nine-swipe IG story. Black background, white text. Wasn't a notes app. You know, really kind of celebrating... His retirement celebrating his legacy mentions Bruce Arians, mentions the city of Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay fans, nine IG swipes, no mention of Bill Belichick, mentions Jason Light, no mention of Robert Kraft, no mention of the Patriots. Don't you feel like that's crazy? I know the counter argument is he already retired from New England. Like he's already said his goodbyes. I don't know, bro. When you're retired from the NFL, he won six rings with them. I feel like at least one of the fucking nine IG slides toss a, you know, go Patriots or something. I mean, it was intentional. It was 100% intentional. You, he knew what he was doing. He didn't forget. And, and he didn't... It, it wasn't a... It wasn't a... He's not grateful for what happened there. It was... That was over. You sort of... You let me leave. The ultimate competitor. is It was his quiet F you for not letting me win more... Stay there and win more Super Bowls, basically. And get paid more money than what he was getting paid towards the end of his career there. Who is your top three quarterbacks in the NFL right now? What? Why are we? I have to know because Tom Brady would be number one for me. Now he's gone. Who's your top three? Who's number one? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. Number three is Joe Burrow. Yeah, I think think that's where it's at. I think that's where it's at. It's got to be. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. And then I think I'm going Josh Allen at four. Right now, Brady was definitely one or two, though. Brady yeah. was definitely one or two. Yeah. He was the highest grade quarterback in the NFL this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, Aaron Rodgers won, but yeah. You're are, you're just a homer, and I get that. That's fine. Last thing on the catch and early buzz here, Jim Harbaugh, I promise we will get to the Senior Bowl stuff. Chris Ballas, Ballas underscore Wolverine, who is heavily connected, has been covering Michigan for a very long time. Talked to David Sofaro, who went to Michigan, and said Chris has been there since the start. Jim Harbaugh plans to sign with the Minnesota Vikings end of an era in Ann Arbor goes on from Michigan goes to Minnesota. I kind of like was screaming this on one of the live shows that we've done this week covering the East West Shrine Bowl covering the Super Bowl. He's going here to win, man. I think he can win in Minnesota. And I think he thinks he can win in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, with Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Christian Darisaw, you're too. Like, I think he could build something here. I think he can build something here in Minnesota. That's why he's opting to do that. You mentioned it too. He's proven what he can do at Michigan, yeah. right? He's turned them into that number two team in the Big Ten, then finally beat Ohio State this past year, made the college football playoff. I think he's ready to get back into the NFL and prove that he can do exactly what he did with San Francisco, right? Like he went to Super Bowl with San Francisco. Yeah. So I do think him back in the NFL, I think is good for the league. Yeah, it's, like I said before, I don't think it's Minnesota being this unique opportunity. It's the timing of what he's leaving behind at Michigan, what he proved at Michigan, and now wanting to jump back to the NFL just because Quality of life in the NFL is so much better than quality of life in college football. And also, like when he went to San Francisco, there weren't a lot of people beating down the door saying how great an opportunity it was in San Francisco. You know, he was this kind of unproven Stanford head coach going to there and hit the ground running, turned that franchise around immediately. 
Not to say he's going to do that with Minnesota, but I think a lot could look a lot better there quickly because of him and the staff he could put together. And I think this obviously means they're going to, like, I mean, there have been some discussions about trading Kirk Cousins, right? Like they're, yeah. they're not doing that. Yeah, I, I think Jim I Harbaugh wants that. to come in yeah. and try and win with Kirk Cousins. I don't think they're going to commit to him long-term or anything, but I think this is where I think he comes in and tries to win immediately, right? He wants to win in 2022. Let's get to this Senior Bowl stuff. Before we do, the presenting sponsor of PFF Tailgate this week, DraftKings, the moment we've been waiting for since September, is finally here in honor of the big game. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet in almost a third of the country. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl 56. 21 plus, see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. For a full list of requirements and state and state-specific responsible gaming resources, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line or 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y to 467-369. That all. Presenting sponsor, DraftKings. What I want to do for the Senior Bowl, coming off of day one, is get into position by position, some of the bigger names, some of the notables, whether it be top performers, low performers, middle of the pack yes. performers, really just some some fun performers in this one. I, before we get into the position by position, can I say this? And I mean this in the nicest no, way possible. You can't. In the nicest way possible. What am I going to say? Yes, of course. We'll in the nicest it. way possible. Yeah. You could, going from East West Shrine Bowl to the Senior Bowl, second you got here, you felt the energy, speed, the speed, the size. There is so much talent. Here at the Senior Bowl, talking to Lance Zierlein, Dame Brugler has mentioned that there could be upwards of like 70 of the top 100 picks here in Mobile this week. Like yeah. That's how talented this group is. And you can feel that not just in the size and speed of the players, but people who are here, right? Dabo Sweeney on the sideline. BJ Fleck on the sideline. Coach O dapped us up on oh, the okay, sideline. Okay. Can I tell that story real <laughs> Please quick? Please do. We're just standing there. Um, Coach O is probably talking to someone else by, uh, we're watching like O-line, D-line. Coach O is talking to someone else. And literally, they get done talking. They shake hands. He looks over at us, comes right over to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? And reaches out a palm as if, like, he he knew. He's like, good to see you. And I'm like, it was insane. Great to see you too, Coach. I've never met so, you before in my life. So what's crazy, too, is so he initially does that to you, right? And yeah. then me and David Safaro are standing right next to you. And he just bumps us down the line, dude. Like, we're, like, there, like, getting – we're waiting for signatures or something. And, like, I think I had, like, an ear-to-ear grin because I'm, like, dude, it's fucking Coach O. Yeah. And you can, like, hear him from, like, a mile away. Yeah. He's there, like, oh, really? He's just like, that, that voice is just so iconic. Um, I had a long conversation with PJ Fleck. We were talking about Daniel Falele. He said – you know, talk about, like, how he got Daniel Falele to Minnesota – he was the only team in the recruiting process that flew his mom from Australia. Everyone else only flew Daniel Falele. Obviously spent some more cheddar to get his mom out there. He felt more of a connection. And man, Daniel Falele, the measurements, we talked about it on another episode previously here on Tailgate. 387 pounds, six foot seven, six foot eight, whatever it is, over like 10 and a half inch hands. This guy's a monster, held up well in some of the one-on-ones today. Let's get into the quarterbacks, though. My biggest takeaway, yeah. and you have right here written dot, 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 none, no notables. What's well, this no- was going to be top performers okay. that I was going to talk about for most positions. But some positions, 
didn't have a top performer. My my counter to that is I think it's notable that Zappi wasn't lost in what everyone's calling like, you know, Zappi's mentioned as an afterthought, right? Yeah. With these five quarterbacks or these six quarterbacks that are here. It's obviously uh, Carson Strong of Nevada, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati, Sam Howell of UNC, and I'm losing the names. I'm, I'm, I'm lost in the sauce. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Carson Strong. Carson Strong, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter. Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, Malik Will. So those are the yeah. five. Those are the five. Five of the top six quarterbacks in the draft. And then there's Bailey Zappi. Zappi was not an afterthought today. I thought he looked good. I thought Zappi was holding his own. And I think that speaks to you know, the opportunity that Zappi has while he's out here. The ba- Bailey Zappi, the Western Kentucky quarterback that literally like broke every passing touch, you know, passing record this season. See, I didn't think he looked that good. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't think many of them looked that good. Um, so maybe like by comparison. By comparison. But like it's because they all were kind of looking like cheeks. Like Malik Willis. It it stood out how much arm talent he has compared to the other guys. Like he has an absolute hose. And, and it was quite easily the strongest arm of any of the guys in attendance. But also like throw in his timing all over the map, throwing like early to guys, probably on a, a handful of routes, accuracy all over the map. I, I didn't think he made himself any money. Um I, like I said, I don't think any guy really looked good out the gate. If there was anyone, I think Carson Strong, like from a sort of expectation standpoint, may have been a little bit better just in terms of like pure arm talent and what how he looked. But that's it, man. It, it was not – no one really made themselves money. Shit, the, 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 the biggest sort of thing that happened was Desmond Ritter almost getting rolled up. Honestly. I know. And that yeah, was, that was – The fact that he's escaped near injury was – Probably the most notable thing that happened all day long. I think the entire stadium gasped when that happened. I remember yeah. a lot of people were like, what happened? What happened? Who couldn't see the play? He almost did get rolled up. Trevor Penning threw, I don't know who the Isaiah pass rusher Thomas. was. Isaiah Thomas no threw him guy. nearly into his knee there. And I guess what I was saying is Zappi was not blown out of the water. Like I think how he's been framed okay. yeah. in this class, right? He's been framed as like an afterthought among these six quarterbacks. I don't think he was anywhere near that. Maybe didn't make himself any money, but we will see. Running back, you have listed here Jerome Ford, the Cincinnati running back who has been one since the weigh-ins, right? Like he has good weight. He's a former Alabama transfer that had success for Cincinnati in their college football playoff run. Yeah, so he checks in at 209 pounds, which he was seen as kind of like a speed back at Cincinnati. Um but 209 pounds is that's legit all around. That's what you know. Aaron Jones is checking in at as kind of a. I guess he's not a bell cow now, but like a guy who has carried the load, the full time workload at times throughout his career. So I, I think it's more than big enough to do that. And Aaron Jones is kind of not a bad sort of skill comp for what Jerome Ford brings to the table. Dude is explosive, and he looked good as a receiver. I think that was the biggest thing in this one that again not used a ton in that role at Cincinnati. But made caught everything that was thrown his way today. Got open on some go routes. Like he was, like I said, probably the best running back here. Probably best all round running back from day one. I also feel that the your guy Rashad White, maybe not in some of the reset receiving drills. I think we saw some bad routes there, but he did look very spry with the ball in his hands. I mean, specifically in the team drills, I thought he had some success. Yeah. Had some of the bigger runs there. I think the receiving drills, he wasn't standing out as maybe as thought as much as we'd hoped. But he was another guy that you could tell had legitimate juice, the Arizona State running back that we've also had on this show. Wide receiver. It's not a great wide receiver class down here in Mobile. Jahan Dotson was going to be the best guy here. He ends up opting out. That's the Penn State wideout. The highest guy on our draft board is Jalen Tolbert, South Alabama wide receiver who's obviously playing here in his home stadium. And he looked the best of anyone this week. 
Yeah, it was quite easily the best of anyone this week. There's uh, this week, this today. Yeah. Um, there's just not a lot, of, like I said, not a lot of talent here. With no Jahan Dotson, this is a uniquely weak wide receiver class by senior bowl standards. Um, but Tolbert in his home stadium, you saw that explosiveness. Now, now we talked about how he's not actually 6'3", he's 6'1". Um, that's a little unfortunate because high pointing catch point is one of his best skills, but he still showed it. He went up against Shriek Wool in the six foot three monster cornerback from UTSA, who was a top 10 Bruce Feldman's freaks list guy and cooked him deep and then beat him at the catch point. Like he has that ability to his game. Um, and again, like I said, no one else really out here had that. Like, like there's a lot of kind of slot ish question mark, physical tools kind of guys at the receiver position here down in mobile. Talking to Fleck a little bit, he admittedly said he has not watched a lot of the receivers in attendance at the Senior Bowl, but he did watch some of the drills. And some of the guys he liked but didn't was not emphatic about any one of them was Khalil Shakir, the Boise State yeah. slot receiver, and then also North Dakota State's Christian Watson, who weighed in at 6'4", 2'11", with a 10-inch hand and 32 and 3 fourth inch arms. I wasn't as blown away by Watson. I mean, I don't think Fleck was either. I, didn't, I don't think Watson. I think you are right in that. Tolbert was an arm and a leg better than a lot of these guys. There's not there's not a clear number two even yet. I think we'll see that as the week progresses. Offensive tackle, Darian Kennard was called out by the Lions coaches as the top offensive tackle at the back end of practice to go against Jermaine Johnson, who we'll mention a bit, little bit later because of the success he had in the one-on-ones, right? He was also moving some people in the run game. He also won a lot of the measurements coming in with the, what, 34 and 5 inch arms, 6'5", 324. Monster dude, 11 and a half inch hands. This guy is huge. Everyone positioning him as a guard at the next level. And I think we still have him as a guard on PFF's draft board. But showing up, playing almost exclusively right tackle today. They were not moving him around like they did with Zion Johnson playing guard and center. He was almost exclusively a right tackle and was winning a lot of his reps. He wasn't perfect on the day. But man, Kennard, a very positive start, starting with the measurements and even into day one. Yeah, I was talking to Colt Kublik, who's ESPN, SEC Network guy, former offensive lineman for Auburn, um, and now an announcer. And he just said he, he hates Kennard's hand plays, but I did too. Like it's like his hands and his pass sets were so tough at Kentucky, and he really got exposed in that regard this past year with the switch in the offense, going from oh gosh, I'm trying to think of their offense coordinator now, names escaping me, but going from he was on the Ram staff prior, and so like going from a more run happy quarterback involved run to you know Will Levis behind center, more of a pocket passer, actually having to do drop back passing concepts and. He didn't have it, but goes to the senior bowl. I thought his feet and his pass sets looked so, so much better already. And hand use is still an issue, though. Like, he still does have wide hands. Was throwing some flashes and whatnot at guys that is still going to be a work in progress in that regard. But, my God, 11-and-a-half-inch hands the guy has. 34 and 5 inch arms. Like, he has real-deal physical tools. And it shows as a run blocker. Like, he uses his hands well as a run blocker to where – I think there is something fixable there. I still still do think he's probably a guard, but he was one of the only guys who who held Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State Edge, mm-hmm. who won reps against him in one-on-ones. Jermaine Johnson, we'll get to later. I want to talk into your offensive line and tight end. I skipped over tight end. Yeah. Well, it's because they're really – for as much hyped as this tight end class was, no one was even getting – I was very underwhelmed by the tight end class. Even Trey McBride, who – we love you yeah. know, tight end one. And I, I feel very confident about that, even still after watching this, the guys here. Not all that impressive, and he's short. And now it's now it doesn't help him that he's standing next to 
Charlie Kolar, who's an absolute monster at six seven, and uh, Jeremy the, Ruckert, six foot five. Yeah, like all those guys are enormous. Who's the the Cole Turner, the Nevada tight end, also six six. Like he's standing next to those guys, and it's unfortunate for him because he's only six three. But like tight ends, a lot of times the routes they're targeting are over the middle, and you want that height. So that's a little bit of a negative for him because I believe it was listed either six four or six five on Colorado State, but he's. He's like the only one that can create on his own, it seems yeah. like here. And so for as much hyped as this tight end class was coming in here, a lot of them are kind of just like guys in terms of pure route. Solid. Very yeah. solid. Not a lot of specialness exactly. in the tape that we saw, at least today. And Trey McBride, I was super excited about him too, right? PFF's tight end one. Ton of production at Colorado State. He had that game where he had 98% of their passing yards in a single game. But going against some of these linebackers, Darian Beavers, the Cincinnati off-ball linebacker being one of them, not even creating some separation against some of those guys as well. I thought he was going to be an arm and a leg better than some of these off-ball linebackers, specifically in those one-on-ones. Now, it's just day one. It's just like four reps, right? Like, that's always the big thing about Super Bowl, but you could move forward there. Yeah, I mean, there are... So it's it's more than four reps. It's probably about 12 to 15 that you get to see over the course of practice. But, But I do think there is some... When you are, like... A tight end and you're supposed to be you know a route runner and things like that that it's what you're asked to do like it it's it's a skill that you should be showing if if you have it basically i, I don't think it's in inconsequential to, to limit it to to wave it away by saying it's only a few number of reps interior offensive line i will say this similar to jalen tolbert i felt that zion johnson the boston college interior offensive lineman was like a notable, notable dude in yeah. that he was probably the cream of crop of the interior offensive line class that is here. Yes, uh, he's he's like the one guy uh, out of any of the offensive linemen here that I would say tomorrow can go onto an NFL field and I feel good, like legitimately like he can play and I'm not worried. Like everyone else that's here, I, I would just, I think there would be a learning curve. If they had to go out tomorrow, well, Zion Johnson, I don't foresee that. The High floor, Zion Johnson, also a he played some gu- center too. He played some center too, uh, and I thought he looked good there as well. I will say the other guy who kind of stood out that I was glad to see because I really hated his tape at tackle was Jamari Salyer, the uh, Georgia offensive lineman who he had played everywhere throughout his career, but played mostly tackle the past couple of years for Georgia. I did not think he was a tackle. Comes in here, looks a lot better on the interior. Before we get to defense, Western and Southern, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Alan Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know? For your financial future, Western Southern is teaming up with PFS' very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Today is the last day to submit your question. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast. To celebrate football's favorite Sunday, we'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out Chris Collins' podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for the answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Defense. Jermaine Johnson was a monster, an absolute monster today. Winning one on ones, and I, you know, I talked to a lot of people this week about this edge group. Right, we didn't get a chance to see Cameron Thomas, the San Diego State defensive end. He warmed up a little bit in pads, then ended up undressing. He's got a hamstring injury. He will not be participating this week. Wanted to see Arnold Ebiketti. We want to see Kingsley and Agbury. We want to see Zachary Carter. We want to see all these different edge guys that are here in attendance for Senior Bowl. Jermaine Johnson 
shows up and dominates in the one-on-ones. He has a legitimate chance to move into this top 40, top 30 conversation, maybe even be a first rounder. I mean, he is for a lot of people. Uh, to me, this wasn't for him and Arnold Ebiketti, the Penn State defensive end. This wasn't a massive sort of week for my, from like how I personally view the guys. Cause I know I knew coming in that they use their hands extremely well, that their pass rush plans are excellent, that they work off of tackles really well, that they just like are sounds like those guys can play in the NFL. I get how I kind of talked about Zion Johnson. Like they could play in the NFL tomorrow and there wouldn't be that big of a learning curve. It to me with Johnson and with Abiketti, it's how athletic are they? Where can they push those athletic tools? Are they, you know, high end athletes, which I, I don't think either are is the problem that I kind of have with both of them on tape and why I'm not really on board with either as, you know, this top 20 sort of pick that I'm willing to say this guy's going to be, I just think they're both safe quality edge guys that you set your sights a little bit higher on when you're picking, you know, someone in the top 15, 20 picks. I will say I was a bit in the edge group, a notable disappointed in Kingsley Nagbury in one-on-ones. I just don't think you saw a lot of pass rush move versatility in his game. He just, he just went to the bull. He like bull rush like six times in a row. <laughs> if we wanted, I wanted more. I wanted yeah. more. He won the measurement. Like, I love the 35 inch arms. He's got length. You see that on tape. He's got the production. One of the highest pass rush win rates in a single season was since we've started grading yeah. college football today. Bull rush and bull rush alone, and like he just like yeah, he was driving some guys in the pockets, collapsing some pockets and those things, but not a lot of clean, clean wins for a Nagbury. Yeah, it, it was like he would bull rush and just be like he he didn't seem he didn't have the same sort of like some of the guys would bull rush and then take a guy all the way past the pocket and then like dump him in the turf and like mm-hmm. you saw that nastiness. Nagbury would bull rush, get to the quarterback, and then he just like he'd stop the rep, and it was like what's. He more. was. He had the the D line coach was kind of getting on him, like saying like counter off of that, do something more. But I guess he just wanted to show that dude's got thirty five inch arms. I, I, one got, of the refs, got it flung. <laughs> one of the refs that like legitimately like gasped at was from this next guy, defensive tackle from Georgia, Devontae Wyatt, who moves with. I mean, I got to be honest. Do you even remember? Obviously, we went back and watched the tape, and there was the, yeah. the UCLA Otito that had some reps that we were kind of like, oh, okay, we see you. Devontae Wyatt's the only guy like at practice live where I was like, no, I remember exactly that defensive lineman, like the interior defensive lineman that really popped off. Obviously, the edge defenders had tape, but like Devontae Wyatt at the practice felt different yeah. with, from a speed and size perspective. Yeah, he was. So to me, there was a clear class of Devontae Wyatt was the best three technique there. And then Travis Jones, the UConn defense tackle, was the best nose tackle there. If you want a three technique in this class, it's Wyatt, if you want to know, after obviously Jordan Davis, who's not here down in Mobile, it's Travis Jones. Like those guys were. Oh, that's right. Quite, I should have mentioned Travis. Quite Jones. clearly, uh, the best at their respective position. And honestly, pigeonholing Wyatt into three techniques probably unfair. Like he's 370 pounds and twitched up like that and can hold up to double teams and did in this practice to where I think he could be versatile. Like if you're a scheme that takes advantage of that. So yeah, Devontae Wyatt was just, I think he. I think in terms of just like pure win rate in the one-on-ones, I, I don't think he lost. Like, I don't think there was a rep that actually someone got the better of him. So and, and Travis Jones, nice the, the UConn play. defensive tackle, had some success as well in the one-on-ones. Yeah. But where he really showed it was a run game, right? When we were watching the team drills, he was hard to beat up. He had some really good reps against Zion Johnson. Zion Johnson, a notable who would perform really well at interior offensive line, whether he was playing guard and center on day one. But Travis Jones, the UConn defensive tackle, was yes. giving him some run for his money. And to go back to Devontae Wyatt, because Jones, I was impressed with. I thought he was a little bit twitchier. But Devontae Wyatt, to go back to like the evaluation standpoint, this to me is bigger for him 
because he's asked to do a lot of stunting, a lot of stuff where he can't, he has to execute the scheme at Georgia. You know, they, they talk about that a lot in their run fits and how they rush the passer. Like I said, with a lot of blitzes, a lot of stunts to where he has to execute a role. He can't just go attack. That, that's their linebackers get to go do that at Georgia. He doesn't. And so this is a scenario or sort of a, a situation where he then gets to play that role. And I think you're seeing the natural ability to take over. So this was bigger for his evaluation, whereas the combine, not as big for him because you know he's going to crush it. You know he's that level of athlete. Like this was this dude was number five on Bruce Feldman's freaks list last year. You see it on tape repeatedly. So this, how he performs here, is big for him. And he is checking that box. Expect him to be a first-round mock guy after this week. If this is his day two, day three looks like this, he will be mocked in the first round. Linebacker, I know you want to highlight Oklahoma linebacker Brian Asamoah. You're obsessed with his feet, the sideline to sideline speed, all that stuff. I want to I feel before- like I feel like Rex Ryan over here. Uh, I, can't, <laughs> I can't keep I can't stop talking about it. Like the dude moved so differently than anyone else out here, and just what he can do from a movement skills perspective at linebacker is like what you want in today's NFL. But continue. Sorry, I, I, I was saying before we give Asamoah the rest of the podcast. Yeah, Darian Beavers was a guy I highlighted going in that I really wanted to see more of. I thought has not had a perfect day, maybe not as well as Asamoah, but he's looked really good in, in, in space. And he's even looked good in the team fits as well. I think Darian Beavers is, is a name that is ascending for me. He's a nice, like top down linebacker who like, if you're, if you're playing a lot of zone where that guy has to drop. Yeah. You don't want him forward. turning his back. Yeah, exactly. Like where he's starting deep and coming forward. Like I, I, I like him in a role like that. Um, similar sort of vibes ish to like a late Van Rush. And then like what he can do and kind of like the size of it, probably a little bit smaller than that, but like, that's just what you're envisage him and like what his usage was. And like when Van Der Esch was at his best, it was in this like top down role of just like spot dropping and then coming forward to attack guys underneath them. And there are some t- talented linebackers here, right? Matt, Brian Asamoah came in at six foot, 222, 33 and three eighth inch arms Dude, from Oklahoma. That's an insane, that's like, those are insanely long arms. Him yes. and Kirby Joseph, you don't see a lot of guys who are six foot tall, list at six foot, and then have thirty three plus inch arms. Those guys, like that's you make your you make money purely based off of that measurement because NFL teams love long arm linebackers. We were laughing on the sideline because we we're looking at Kirby Joseph and like his arms are grazing his knees. Yes, if you're listening to the podcast, stand up and see where your arms end. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't end at your knees. Dude, we were watching Brock Purdy. And oh, don't the, the Iowa State. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't to his knees. Uh, it was barely to his like. I will, I'll say the PG version, which we were wondering if he could even get in his pockets without bending over. <laughs> like, and he because he had 29 and a half inch arms, and the guy's like six two, uh, which is very short for a guy that size. So, um, some oddly sized human beings, obviously, on NFL football fields. That's kind of <laughs> the whole point of this. But yeah, Asamoa, even though he's undersized. He's physical. That guy was throwing a punch every. Oh so they're not tackling, but he throws a punch at every single ball. So Darius Leonard tried out there. Yeah, to try to force fumble. He had three force fumbles past year. I think that's actually going to be like a weapon. He does that. Has it the next. There's level. some other really talented linebackers here too. We spent a lot of time when we were going back and watching the tape. Chad Muma of Wyoming had mm-hmm. some reps. Channing Tindall of Georgia. Damone Clark of LSU. There is some talent here at off ball linebacker. And normally going into the Senior Bowls, you know, don't pay. You know, sometimes you don't glean a ton from those like linebacker versus tight end or linebacker yeah. versus running back one-on-ones because there's so, so, so much space. Two-way goes for the running backs oftentimes. Like, this has been an impressive start for the off-ball linebackers. Beavers had some reps. Tyndall had some reps, like I said. I think this is – I may have said this already. 
But I think it's the best linebacking class since they started grading like a PFF, like the most talent, the most guys who are going to end up like top 50 on the PFF draft board. I think there's five right now. I could see there being six when mm-hmm. all said and done. Um, I just really like the linebacker class. Let's get to the secondary here. Not a monster top performer here. This one has a woof next to it. Before you get yeah, to that name, Roger McCreary, I will say, I came out with a tweet talking about his arms, and he, he has sub-30-inch arms, which is only five cornerbacks in the NFL that have sub-30-inch arms and have played over 400 snaps on at outside cornerback over the last five years. Those names are Ross Cockrell, Dante Jackson, Cameron Sutton, Troy Hill, and Devontae Maddox. You're going to have to fly, and you're going to have to have some ball skills. The only one that's actually stuck as a starter runs a 4-3-1. Exactly. Exactly. So, you're going to have to yeah. fly. Roger McCurry, 5'10", 189 pounds, 29 and 2 8 inch arms. This isn't even like slightly. It's 29 and a quarter inch arms for Roger McCreary. Now, he was, I'd say, the least sloppy of these guys, though. Like, he came in and was not completely off balance at times. I yeah. thought he looked really good. Now, you're going to have to deal with the outside, you know, the, the arm leg stuff. And he played in the slot a lot today, too. Like, mm-hmm. they put him in the slot. They yeah. put him outside. Teams know that with those that arm length, you might have to have some time in the slot. Yeah, this cornerback group was straight up not good like and it was not even and it wasn't even going against great exactly receivers. exactly it's a that was the other part of it where it's like man there just was not a lot of a lot to write home about in those one-on-ones like there usually is um here at senior bowl i will say the guy who like stood out but in a way that was scary steering kendrick the georgia corner he is when left kind of like on an island without you know the advent of this all-world defensive line, he does. He doesn't have speed. Like uh, you saw it two years ago against Olave, you saw it at times against Jameson Williams. Like he, I, I'd be surprised if he runs anything under four five five. Like, and that's no way, really, that bad. Yeah, damn, Darren so, Kendrick, how the mighty TBD. fall. It just, and it just had a bad day. Like, just was not sticking with anyone. I have one more cornerback notable before we get to safety, which I think is this guy's going to be one of our guys here. We're going to be talking about him a lot in this draft process. Oh, yeah. But Vilas Jones Jr., you know, the Tennessee wide receiver, yeah. goes against Tariq Woolen in a one-on-one today. Tariq Woolen is this UTSA corner that is six foot three, two oh five, with thirty-three and a half inch arms. So he's a monster compared to all these cornerbacks really here, and compared to a lot of these receivers. Meanwhile, Vilas Jones Jr., five foot eleven, two oh three, with thirty-one inch arms in the first rep. UTSA corner, guy with 33-inch arms, just locks him up. They don't even get the ball thrown, yeah. right? Like, he runs a slant. This guy can't get off press. It's over. Then the coach, who I think was one of the Lions coaches, says, run that back again. We need to see that one more time. And they put Woolen back up there. Felix Jones doesn't even get touched at the line, dusts his ass, and burns him. Like, two, three yards of separation down the right sideline. It was such an impressive rep for Felix Jones. They end up dapping it up at the end. But I thought uh, that was a very fun part of the practice because Felix Jones Jr. was so upset putting that rep on tape. He was upset at the play call. He was upset at something. Yeah. And then obviously getting that opportunity to go back and go against Woolen. And they end up, you know, obviously it wasn't like a, a menacing thing, but it was a, one of the more interesting reps of the day. That, that is the why um, corners like that, like Woolen, 6'3", 205, 33 and a half in charms. Why like those massive, massive corners though. Why some schemes and some defensive coordinators like guys like that, where it's like, you know, he's not going to stay with them on a full route tree. Like, you know, if you ask him to go play man coverage or like just – he doesn't have the twitch. Go one on one. That it's not. Yeah, exactly. You can't sink. Like you're, you're, he's so high cut. Like the guy's legs are so long. You're just not going to. It's like, you know, it's like LeBron James trying to guard and stay with Stephen Curry. It's not going to happen. Like they, they're two different sizes of human beings. But 
when you when a guy like when like guy like Woolen wins, that route's over. You know, like when he wins, you're doing nothing. You can't throw the ball that way. That mm-hmm. that he has taken out of the play entirely, and that completely f's with progressions, route concepts, whatever timing. It can screw up a whole passing play. So I think that's like something to highlight about why. Guys like that will never go out there and look great, but it is sort of the press technique. It is the physicality that they can bring that you would like to see. Like those high-end reps are still stuff that matter. On to Jalen Petrie. It was the Jalen Petrie show. Safety out of line. Uh, safety out of line. I almost called him the safety out of linebacker. It's not a bad description of what he does. <laughs> safety out of Baylor. Played a ton of slot corner this past year and played it well. Really good against run. Five foot ten, one ninety six, thirty and seven eighth inch arms, and so aggressive, so physical. When we were at the East West Shrine Bowl, I talked to Treston Ebner, running back for Baylor, teammate of uh, Jalen Petrie. He's like, "There's not a player." In college football, that talks more trash than Petrie, and he plays he plays with that kind of vigor, right? And you saw that today. He's exploding on the ball, breaking up everything in front of him. And they had him going man on man with some of these bigger tight ends, right? Like to show, like, can this guy that's five foot ten, one ninety six, go against a Rucker, go against a, a McBride, and win in these one on ones? And there were some times where he's giving up receptions, but never back down from the size of the situation. Petrie man yeah. had a really really good start. Yeah, he is. He's kind of in his own class here of the safety position. Um, now, he didn't play a ton of, like, true safety. They still had him around the line of scrimmage, which if you're drafting him with, with the tape he puts in the run game, you'd be silly not to put him, like, at either dime linebacker, slot corner, whatever, around the football because he is a monster in that regard. But So still would like to see him play more traditional safety at some point during the week. But in that role, he just – He's such a natural playmaker. Like he just sees the game, and then his. I, I'm curious to see what he runs because I, I. I think he is fast. Like I, I'm not sure it matters necessarily in my opinion of who he is, but he plays faster than oh, anyone yeah. out there. Like anyone out there does not hold a candle to the speed at which he's playing the game. A lot of that's the twitch, though, right? Like he just stops and starts so yes. much faster yeah. than these guys, and maybe he doesn't run low four threes, but. Mm. Man, on snap, there's not a lot of players that are moving exactly. the ball faster than Jalen Petrie. I also want to shout out Kirby Joseph, who in no way had a perfect day today, but definitely stands out at six foot, 233 and a quarter inch arms. They had him playing a ton in the box. And this guy has played everywhere in Illinois. They move him all over the place. He played a lot in the box today. There were some times where he kind of looked out of place, even in some of the man coverage situations. But those long arms are going to show up, man. And I feel like. I bet you a lot of listeners like, dude, they bring up fucking arm length like every player. But like the more I've been a part of this process, the more at all positions, long arm length wingspan matters mm-hmm. at all positions. And seeing some of these guys that do have outlier levels, maybe not outlier levels, but on the high end of the distribution in arm length, like a Kirby Joseph, yeah. like a Tariq Woolen, like, you know, um, the linebacker Brian Asamoah, awesome. that matters, man. That's going to show up when you're drafting guys to be freaks. You are drafting players, human beings, to be rare. You know, you're drafting them to be 1% yeah. of the world. They better have fucking 33-inch arms and look like pterodactyls, man. You're going to need them to do that. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest – you touched on at the top, going from the Shrine Bowl to here. It's just like these guys are imposing mm-hmm. to, to be around compared to – not to say the guys over there weren't. Wow. But like – You want to fight everyone at the Shrine Bowl. I get and, it. and you see it more so – in the trenches. And I think that's the biggest like difference, like the pop and just the explosiveness. And it really speaks to kind of what we say about why you want to draft certain positions like edge, uh, you know, like offensive tackle early on. 
because there's not a lot of guys that tick those boxes. Like there's not a lot of guys. And that's why, and when they do, it looks different, you know, and, and it gives them inbuilt advantages that matter on a football field. So I, think that's why. I think that's something that has changed the most about how I've approached the draft over probably the last five years mm-hmm. and going, starting with PFF in May of 2017 and taking like football guy approach or guy that has a ton of production and look at, you know, you spent, you put a lot of weight into PFF grades and these things like, what happens on the football field, I think I undervalued how important it is to be freakish and different and outlier levels of size, weight, you know, mm. height, speed, all that stuff. And when you talk to, you know, we were talking to coaches and, and scouts at the East West Shrine Bowl, talking to coaches and scouts today, it's one of the first things they bring up, dude. First thing they bring up, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, the first time he put Mackay Beckton in the top 10 of a mock draft, it's like, how many players are waking up that big? Not a lot. And that's what teams want. And so I hope it's that we don't sound like a broken record bringing up a lot of these guys' measurables, but man, it is going to matter. It is going to separate, you know, the top 10 picks from, you know, honestly, the day two, day three picks. So that's going to do it for this Senior Bowl recap day one. We're going to be coming at it all week long. Probably won't have a podcast out tomorrow. We should have a podcast coming out on Friday to recap. Or no, we're going Thursday, right? We're going to go Thursday, come out with one Wednesday. Come out, um, so we we got to get. We got to delete the tweet. We got to delete the tweet. Oh, I, I the Senior Bowl edition. Oh, the Senior Bowl edition. Of a guy who... Was at the Senior Bowl, I believe. I, actually, now that I say that, no, he was definitely at the Senior Bowl. Whispers. Like oh no, I didn't see this tweet go. from you. Whispers, April twenty eight, tw- April twenty eight, twenty seven. Try to guess. Yeah, try to guess who this is. This tweet's about here. Whispers. Chargers just got the best offensive line in the draft. This is about Forrest Lamp. This was about Forrest Lamp, and that was now. In my defense, not a great offensive line draft. That was when that was the Bulls Ramchick year. So, wasn't great, but. They call Forrest Lamp the best offensive line in that draft on draft day for some reason. And well, yikes! He's well, he went to the Chargers though, so like that's kind of my excuse. Fair enough. I get, a, I get, a, I get a redo in that one, but that one is a delete the tweet Hall of Famer for myself. I don't have a delete the tweet for today, but I'll try and maybe prep one for officially from Quinn, the producer. We are going to record an episode after practice tomorrow. Should release it that night or the early that next morning, and then a full Senior Bowl recap senior bowl east west shrine recap maybe even a mock draft who knows we'll see on the monday following make sure you go get your draft guide by the way you can go to pff.com get your draft guide right now use promo code super 25 for 25 percent off until next time austin gale mike renner tell you.